There we go. La Mangosta, Victor Henry. Welcome to the show, man. What's up, dude? Man, no, I'm just, uh, yeah, like we were talking a little bit earlier, just relaxing before these fights we got coming up. And, um, you know, I wanted to start off by saying your nickname is real cool, by the way. You know, like, uh, you know, in English, the mongoose, that's all right. But La Mangosta, that hits a little different, I think. Um, you know, how'd you end up with a nickname like that? So, um, you know, people might know him by now, but not really before. Um, I'm actually half Mexican, even though uh, my skin is really white and my uh, my beard is pretty red. But I'm actually half Mexican. And uh, growing up, my dad called me El Monstro. So when I started fighting and Josh was like, hey, we need to give you a nickname. And I was like, well, you know, my dad's been calling me El Monstro since I was a kid. And for, uh, for people who don't know, El Monstro means the monster. And, um, so Josh goes, nah, that's, that's, nah, we're not going to call you that. And I was like, well, why, whatever, dude. And, you know, I'm under the, uh, I'm under the, um, the idea that, uh, you don't give yourself a nickname. You know, you're always right. given, you're always given your nickname and he goes, all right, well, I'll be back tomorrow or whatever. So then I guess he spent the day just kind of thinking about it. And he comes back with La Mangosta. I was like, why the mongoose? And he goes, bro, it's because you're like a mongoose, you know, you're like, you're fierce, you're quick witted, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're with it. And then, but when it's time to fight, it's, you know, they, they fucking go for it and they take out cobras and shit. And I was like, you're calling me a marmot, dude. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> and he goes, no, you can't think about it like that. And I was like, that's exactly what I'm thinking about it as, but you know, you don't make your own nickname. So, you know, the mongoose, I mean, uh, La Mangosta stuck. So here we are. Yeah, no, and uh, you know, speaking of cool nicknames, I was listening to uh, some of the press you did after the fight with Tony Gravely, which you know, of course, we're going to talk about. But you said uh, you said someone had DM'd you one time, calling you Combat Kenny G. Yeah, and um, yeah, that was cool. That's that's hilarious. First, yeah, well, I mean, like <laughs> you know, you know, like I said in the interviews, you know, like you get a lot of you get a lot of love and you get a lot of hate, and you know, it is what it is, but, you know, and the, the fan, the, you know, I wouldn't even say just the MMA fandom, but fandom in general across all sports or whatever, they can get real nasty when they want to, but they can also get, be real funny. Um, I don't shy away from the haters and all the, 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 the crap talking. I don't shy away from any of it because sometimes even though it sucks, like after I lost against the sunset, I got a lot of hate, but some of it, some of it was actually kind of funny. Um, I've got a twisted uh, sense of humor when it comes to those things. So, but yeah, when I first signed to the to the UFC and people were commenting on Twitter and this, that, and the other, and people were saying that I look like um, uh, Combat Kenny G, or they were calling me Combat Kenny G, and I was like, ah, that's, that's actually pretty funny. And then uh, there was the other guy, uh, the uh, Clay Guida people were saying I look like Clay Guida or like wish at Clay Guida. And I was like, nah, that one's not too funny. I don't, I don't have a lot of, you know, similarities with Clay Guida other than just long hair. Right. But combat Kenny G, I was like, yeah, yeah. Curly hair, kind of a, you know, kind of a long, narrow face. Yeah. It's pretty good. So I, I like that one. That one was pretty funny. Oh yeah. No, yeah. It's not, uh, not bad at all. You know, before, um, before we got to recording here, you know, we were, talking a little bit about some of these fights we got coming up tonight you know we're recording a little after 4 p.m central on a saturday got a big pay-per-view coming up uh 
you know, some interesting fights on there. The Pereira Izzy rematch, Burns Masvidal. Got a couple of bantamweight fights though, like like Rob Fine, Adrian Yanez, and Rosas and Rodriguez fighting. Um, yeah, you know, just kind of interested in uh, some of your thoughts on some of those some of those big matchups we got coming up tonight. Yeah, well, the the, the main one I'm looking at is uh, Rob Font and Adrian Yanez. I mean, both of those guys, they you know, good hands. I mean, Adrian Yanez takes damage early but he uh he adjusts well and and modifies his game plan and comes out and goes out there and usually gets the win uh rob font always uh always a heavy hitter and you know we saw what he was able to withstand in that cheeto fight um fights like that i think uh kind of you know they lower your ability to take shots you know rob font came out of that came out of that fight not, you know, I mean, looking not too pretty, but you know, that only goes to show that how tough he is, you know. And I don't know if Yanez has more or less power than uh, than Chito, but maybe you know, I think Yanez does stick to boxing a little bit more. Maybe he can, you know, maybe he can actually get the finish. But Rob Font is always a threat, so I'm looking forward to that. That's the main fight I'm looking forward to. The um, the main event. You know, Izzy, he's a he's a great fighter, like I said. Um he's um he has the ability to either make a fight really exciting or really boring. And the only reason I say that is like I said before, I look at fights through the lens of a fan first and as a as a as a fighter second. Um the reason is is because we watch fights to be entertained. We don't watch fights because we want to study all the time. You know, when we watch fights to study, that's usually what I'm doing when I have my next opponent or when I'm trying to pick up off certain things that I want to implement into my into my game plan. You know, um, but then even then, like that's really it really depends on the fighter. For instance, Izzy, I'm not going to em- emulate a lot of Izzy's style because I don't have a lot of Izzy's natural talents or his or his game plan, his length and things like that. Um, so. When I when I'm thinking about this main event, I'm thinking, well, yeah, Alex Perea can put him away at any point because he's got the power. He's demonstrated that multiple times. But which uh, which Izzy is gonna sh- is gonna show up? And I hope we see uh, Izzy Nurmagomedov this time because if we can see uh, Izzy wrestle, then I actually think that we can see more of Izzy's striking coming out of it. Um, Rojas, you know, it's funny because. Uh, Rojas actually trained in Southgate for a little bit where I, where I'm from, oh, okay. you know, where I originally came from. And, um, you know, and it's not like he spent a long time there. It was just that, you know, he would, he would roll through, um, CMMA used to have a, uh, used to have a sister school over there and it's called six blades now, I think, but yeah, Rojas was over there and, you know, now Rojas is obviously signed with the UFC. He's, I think he's training in Vegas now, but you know, that's, that's, that's going to be a good one. So, I mean, I really don't know too much about his opponent other than, you know, he's not a slouch, you know, which is more than what I thought they were going to give him. You know, I thought they were going to kind of give him some, I wouldn't say tomato cans because at, at this stage there's no tomato cans. But, right. you know, maybe somebody stylistically easier of a fight, but, you know, they're throwing him straight to uh, straight to some good people. So we'll see how that fight plays out. Yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting. and. Um, I think you're right too, you know, as you're watching fights as a, as a fan, you know, you want fights that are, 
back and forth, exciting to get you up on your feet, everything like that. And man, your, your fight with, with Tony Gravely was that it was such a fun fight to watch. I mean, it was basically nonstop action from, you know, that opening bell all the way through, you know, that, that pace you put on him was, was crazy. I got tired watching it. I rewatched the fight, you know, before this, uh, podcast here, I got tired just watching it. You know, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing some of your thoughts on, your performance against Gravely last month, you know, you you know how well you think you did, how, you know, just some of your takeaways from it. You know, um, out of ten, I gave that like a six or a six and a half. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's um, I think main the the main things for me to take away from that fight were my breathing was a little off. Not that I had like any lung problems, but like, you know, execution of techniques, you know, not breathing in the correct times and holding my breath at times. And, you know, so come when, uh, after the first round, I was a little bit more winded than I thought, you know, there's a, you know, it's funny because my boxing coach Jamal tells me all the time, you're winded, you're not tired. And I was like, yeah, because there's a difference, you know, tired, you know, being like you, you've wrestled a bunch and your arms are blowing up and you're fatigued, you know, versus winded, you're just a little out of breath, you know, um, you know, so going into that second round, I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get my breathing back in check, but it's, you know, it's, it's easier, of course, if you already start off with your breathing in check and your execution of, of your techniques and your, um, you're not holding your breath and things like that. So, going into the second round really try to get that back you know and then but of course you know gravely being a you know being the uh veteran and you know with the skill set that he has i didn't want to go in there and open up with too much and you know throw uh you know have in mind that i'm gonna throw a, a, a five punch combination or whatever and then in between three and four he uncorks a big left hand or a big right hand because we've seen that he's ended fights that way where he'll just you know he'll shell up shell up and then people open up too much and they stay, start leaving their chin up in the air and he just finds that chin and that was in the back of my head of course the entire time i said man i don't want to be opening up with a series of combinations and my technique falls falls apart in the middle and all of a sudden i'm laying on the canvas that would suck so you know having to keep that in mind with all the volume punching that i wanted to do so well, you did definitely do that that volume punching you're talking about, man. Especially in that second round, especially you really, really turned up the heat there. Uh, I you know I think during the fight, you know they threw up a graphic said you had landed over sixty significant strikes there in that second round. I mean, were you were you kind of surprised that you weren't able to put him away there? I mean, you were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him, you know. Yeah, I mean, basically every time, I mean, even in that Barcelos fight when they were like, oh, well, Victor Henry set a record. I was like, man, that's cool. But at the same time, that kind of sucks. If I if I landed that many significant strikes, how come there's not a body on the floor? You know, you know, I don't, don't want to. I mean, we get paid for a good time, not a long time. It's not we're not supposed to be in there for the entire 15 minutes or the 25 minutes. Like if we can end a fight in three minutes, we get paid the same as if we paid if we. You know, in fact, no, I would argue differently. We, if we ended a fight in three minutes, we would probably get paid more with finish bonuses and everything. So, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be in there for a super long time. No, man, I don't, I don't blame you. Um, one of the things that you know stuck out during that fight to me was those kicks to the body you were landing. You know, particularly that front kick to the body. I mean, those were nasty, man, and you were just landing them over 
and over and over just all throughout the fight and I even saw that fight you had with uh, Takafumi Otsuka in in deep in 2018, where you finished him with a kick just like that. You know, I'm I'm curious to know. I mean, is that kick something you've always had in your arsenal throughout your career, or was it something you kind of developed a little bit later? You know, it, the idea of the kick has always existed. You know, as far as within my game, like I just didn't throw it as much for this for for my fight against Gra- Gravely was. Uh, I wanted to use that kick a lot because I know I, I figured in watching his fights and the study of tape, watching his defensive style and how he holds his hands really leaves his body open. However, I can't throw it in a traditional Muay Thai way or in a traditional kickboxing way because it's it's uh, I'm not it, it's very obvious. You know, like it's with the stepping out of the center line with opening up the, the hips. And, you know, I know Gravely, I know Gravely's uh, coach, his striking coach, Steve Bruno. Steve Bruno has a, has a, he loves, a, he loves the K1 kickboxing style. So being able to dissect that style is, um, well, you know, I figured, okay, Bruno's going to be used to seeing this. So he's going to get used, his fighter used to seeing this. So how can I develop these kicks in a way that they're not used to seeing in a way that's not, that's not very common. Now, one, a couple of my training partners are Machida karate guys. We got, you know, Bruno Sousa who fights in karate combat and UFC veteran. And we also have a uh, Weber Almeida who's a, uh, who's a Bellator fighter. We have uh Rafael Mulisha who's uh you know, he's a, he's a title contender for uh, LFA, you know, so, those guys, and even I've even trained with Shinzo Machida myself. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so the way they throw kicks, I'm you know when I was studying, is just it's a very different way of applying the kick and applying power to the kick because they come from a Shotokan background. You know, and when we think about like K1 and Muay Thai, and we're thinking about you know as just specifically the kicks aspect of it. We're taking a baseball bat and we're trying to knock a door down. You know, boom, we're trying to get, we're trying to break through defenses. Even the Kyokushin style, which, you know, Colin Oyama kind of comes from. But, yeah, we're thinking about just, you know, taking a battering ram, which is our shin, and we're just driving and breaking shields with it. However, the Shotokan style is point karate. So we, we just care, or they just care about getting the weapon to the target as quickly and as sneakily as possible. So now we're thinking about instead of taking a bat to a door or a battering ram to a door, now we're taking a small knife to a small piece of meat. Boom. Boom. We're just going that way. And of course, that's a leg. We're not talking about some little, you know, a little weapon. We're talking about a leg going into a target. Boom. Applying power, applying big power. So, you know, training for gravelly in specific you know getting these uh getting the get, getting the front kick to look like a different kick but applying it into in a different way where he can't really tell where it's going and just really getting to the body i mean that was a critique of his from even the fandom where all oh, gravelly loses gas well i don't think gravelly loses gas i think gravelly just gets hit in the body a lot and that of course is taxing if you're getting hit in the guts you know your you know your diaphragm your your breathing is going to be off because your abs are sore. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to suck getting, getting kicked in the guts to suck. And that's going to make you tired. So uh, pulling back to your original point, the more I've done that in practice, 
I've noticed that my, you know, of course my partner starts to lose cardio, lose cardio, lose cardio, which opens up the hands, which opens up the takedowns, which opens up, opens everything up because you have to just, you have to change certain ways of doing it. Also having a background in Savat, you know, French kickboxing, not a lot of people know a lot about that, but those who do know the, the very uh, sneaky ways that they apply kicks also. So that's uh, something that's been continuously growing in my game. Yeah, no, and it was yeah, it was it was awesome to see during that fight, man. Um, speaking of some of those great guys that you train with, you know, I think anyone that has seen you fight will notice that you have uh, Josh Barnett in your corner, and that you train with him. Of course, you know, MMA heavyweight legend, uh, you know, former UFC heavyweight champion. And, you know, list of accolades goes goes on and on. You know, I'm curious to know uh, how long have you been training? with him and and how did y'all first get acquainted well i've been training with him now for the greater part of i want to say 15 years now maybe yeah probably about 15 years um i used to train over at a place called legends mixed martial arts over in hollywood california and my coach at the time which is which is weird because he was the one that actually started started me down the path of fighting he goes, because at the time, I'm like, what, 18 years old. I, I was going to school. I was working at Knott's Berry Farm. I was volunteering at a Taekwondo center. I was kind of just everywhere. I wanted to go to school to get a certain career, but I needed a job. You know, I was kind of doing that thing. And then my coach at the time, Jim, Jimmy Romero, goes, listen, man, you're here at 6 a.m. every morning. Why don't you just try having a, why don't you just try having a fight? I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And it was a, it was a Muay Thai smoker, you know, shin guards, headgear, big gloves. Let's go for it. So I did that fight, and I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. Then as the fights kept coming, they, of course, kept getting harder and harder because people are training more and often, and, you know, people are having fights. And, you know, the, you start separa- separating yourself from the just the normal class person, you know. Eventually, my my coach, Jimmy Romero, started having kind of troubles with the, uh, with the owner of Legends, and, you know, kind of separated. So I went with Jimmy Romero, and then, eventually you know like he had a team of amateurs that were training out of another spot and he wasn't making very much money and of course the guy's got to have a living so he said man like i can't we can't be um i can't actually do this anymore and actually make a living so you know i gotta stop doing this and i was like okay yeah you know you gotta do you so but at that point i really i didn't know i mean we're talking about an amateur with four fights five fights didn't know what to do i didn't know what good training was. I didn't know anything, you know? So I was like, damn, well, prior to him breaking the team up, Josh Barnett had done a seminar with him because they had mutual acquaintances. So, you know, Josh goes, Hey, you know, send your fighters over to CSW or Eric Paulson. If they want extra sparring or, you know, and he was just kind of helping out. But then he heard that my, my team had broken up. And then the mutual acquaintance actually goes and tells Josh, Hey man, we got this Victor kid, you know, he, he's, 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 he's got potential. He's a good kid. Hit him up. See if he can't see if you can't get him over at CSW. Now, initially Josh didn't take me up under his wing just right off the bat, just cause his friend said so, you know, Josh is Josh. He's got a lot of things that he's doing, right. but what he did do is he called me and he goes, Hey, go to CS, go to CSW on a Monday morning. First thing I told him was, Hey man, I don't have a job. I barely got a car, you know, 
I don't know if I could pay. He goes, that's not what I said. I said, show up to CSW on Monday. I said, all right. So I showed up and he pulls up and he goes, hey, you got a pro fight in three weeks. And I said, uh, and that was my pro debut. So, yeah. And he goes, yeah. So uh, do that. And then he takes off to Europe or whatever because he's got whatever to do. So I'm like, uh, okay. So, you know, but he, he had given me a couple things to work on and, you know, I was doing the, whatever, basically whatever he said, you know, Hey, work on this, work on that. And I would just, you know, 20, 30 minutes after practice, I would work on those things. And then I would go home and then I would look for a work. And then of course, you know, train again at night, just practicing the things that he wanted me to practice. So I had kind of had to go through a hazing period of him telling me to do things and me just doing them. Now, generally speaking, you would think, oh, if a if a UFC hall, I mean, if a if a you know if a UFC champion, Hall of Famer, you know, world renowned guy tells you to do something, easy peasy, I'm gonna do whatever he says. But it's not that easy. I mean, not in the sense of not in the sense of you just gotta get up and do it, because that doing it is the easy part. But for whatever reason. People get put in a position where they will, will, where they literally have opportunity, but they don't do it. And it sucks to see because even in like some of the people that, you know, Josh and I have trained with or training partners of mine, or Josh would be like, go get your passport. That way I can get you fights out of the country. You'll hear things like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't, I'm just like, what are you talking about, bro? Just make time. Just make time to go get a passport. It's, I mean, the process sucks, but it's easy to do. It's it's just arduous. You know, it's little things like that where Josh would just be like, yeah, practice your sit-outs. And these people just won't do it. So I went through a while of, I was like, yeah, this dude's telling me to do this. It's because I need to do something. So I would do it over and over again. And then he can tell, hey, yeah. The reason why it's working is because of this, or the reason why it's not working is because of that. Okay, I'll I'll adjust my training, and you know I did that for a while. And then that's when he started pulling me in and started being okay. No, we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this, and that's when he really started becoming my coach because I would do those things. One time he asked me he asked me to do a grappling tournament. I said yeah sure, and then I was teaching a class, and I guess he had called me, but of course I was teaching in a class, and he goes. Yeah, you didn't answer, so uh, I put you at 135, and I'm like, bro, why did you put me at 135? I fight it that way. Like, I'm not making no money for this grappling tournament, so I had to lose, what was it, like 13 pounds in like two days. Oh, I was like, ah, man. <laughs> so he goes, and he goes, yeah, but well, you did it. And I was like, yeah, but it sucked. I didn't want to do it that way, but okay, here we go. But yeah, that's uh, that's basically how Josh came around. It wasn't it wasn't exactly uh, hey, my name is Josh. I'm going to be your coach. It was a lot of like, no, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this, and a lot of cussing at me too. Like he, <laughs> people, people, you know, people think, oh, it's great that you got a you got a um, a legend for a coach. I'm like, yeah, but it that has its price, you know, like, and the price is perfection. You know, you have to do right. things correct and all the time. There's no bullshitting. No, I, mean, I, I wouldn't imagine that there is. You know, yeah. You think he he makes y'all do all those different things so that he can kind of weed out, you know, like who's serious about it and who isn't. I don't know. Uh, he makes you do th- those things because he wants you to be the best. 
you know, he wants you to, he wants you to be a competent fighter. All the weeding out process comes way before, you know, um, you know, we have a number of guys in the gym now that are, you know, that are, they're training hard, training to the best of their ability, but not all good training is hard and not all hard training is good. So the whole weeding out process is okay. Well, yeah, you're in the gym every day, but what else are you doing? Is your diet on check? Are you, do you have a, a running schedule? Do you have a lifting schedule? What's your work schedule? You know, being a, being a, a, a professional mixed martial artist, I mean, it's got a, I mean, it's There's a lot of things that go to it. You know, even, I mean, there is a, there's a big buy-in also. It's not like you could just start, you just start fighting pro and all of a sudden you start making money. You know, it's not, it's not the way it works. And oftentimes your first four or five fights are free unless you can sell a lot of tickets because you got your medicals, then you got your, you know, all the things that, I mean, you still have to have a job, you know, it's not like you fight once and all of a sudden you're, uh, yeah, you're made up, you're, you're well off. Absolutely not. You still have your nine to five, then you have to pay your medicals and then whatever expenses that you have, you know, car, gas, food. It's a, it's a hard thing to do. I actually didn't become profitable as a mixed martial artist until 20, 2018, 2019. And that was after over 20 fights. Um, what kind of different jobs did you have during that time? Oh, I've been a dishwasher. I did smog checks, uh, bouncing at, at a, at a, at a nightclub. And then, um, Right now I'm a bartender, you know, so I'm still working, you know, the, the UFC money is you know, like, it's paying me pretty well, but you know, I'm of the mind where I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to save that UFC money. Cause I'm going to do something with that. That's going to help my future. And as of right now, I can keep this bartending job. That way I can pay my, my rent, my phone bill, my food, you know, things like that. I don't want to dive into my fight money before that. Right. No, that makes sense. Uh, did I hear you say you worked at Knott's Berry Farm for a time? Yeah, uh, yeah, no, because I've, I've I've never been, but I've you know I've seen things about it and everything like that. It it seems like a pretty cool place to to go visit. What'd you do with them? Oh, so yeah, yeah, Knott's Berry Farm is fun. You know, it's um. Uh, so I was a ride operator, so I was the one making the rides go. You oh, know, okay. and <laughs> which is funny because now you want to think about they're putting a bunch of eighteen year olds in charge of these multi-million dollar heavy machinery things. That seems, that seems like a great idea. Right. But, um, you know, you know, so not very farm. It's a cool job, especially, you know, when you start working during the summer, it's long hours, you know, long hours and you get to hang out. I, mean, I wouldn't exactly say hang out, but you know, you get to be, a, you get to be outside among a bunch of people that are your age, probably into the same things that you're into, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's pretty cool, man. I mean, you got your summer events, then you have your uh, winter events, and then October, of course, not scary farm. People getting the crap scared out of them. I was a monster a couple years, so I did that. You know, um, not scary farm was a good opportunity, especially just to make some some change to to help fuel whatever it is that you needed to do. I mean, one uh one year when I had my actually I had one of my fights. I was working at Knott's Berry Farm as a monster, and during scary during the Halloween haunt, they said, "Listen, you guys are seasonal employees, so there is no calling out. If you call out, you are probably going to be fired." And I was like, "Well, I have." I even went to my manager. I said, "Listen, I have this fight on this day, 
So I'm not going to be able to come in on this day or this day because I'm making weight one day and then I'm fighting the next day. And they were like, yeah, you can't do that because you're seasonal. And if you do that, you're going to be fired. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have this fight. I'll show up the next day after my fight. And if you tell me I'm fired, fine, but I'm showing up. And they were like, oh, you can try it. And I was like, all right. So sure enough, after I fought, I won. I actually won by knockout in the first round. And then I, I walked into my job with my spider costume or whatever. And they were like, he goes, what are you doing here? And I said, I told you I was going to show up. He goes, what happened to your fight? I, said, I looked at him straight in the face and I said, I won. 37 seconds knockout. He looks at me dead in the face and goes, all right, clock in, go ahead and go upstairs. And, you know, your station is eight. I was like, all right, thanks. See you later. I was like, geez, dude, like you're going to make me, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to fire me after I had all this. Right. But whatever. But yeah, he, they kept me on and, you know, I mean, I didn't, after that, I was, I wouldn't say I was any trouble, you know, just, you know, I just had, I had something to do that day. Yeah. yeah, what a fucking buzzkill that would have been. You know, you win your fight with a quick knockout and then you walk into work to get fired. That just, <laughs> that would have sucked, man. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? If I would have lost that fight, he might have told me I was fired. But <laughs> the fact that I told uh-huh. him, oh, yeah, I won. Knockout. I'm looking him right in the eyes. Yeah, go ahead and get this. Go get, <laughs> go, go, go back in there. Oh, man. Yeah, well, we, uh, we hit the, you know, the 10 minute warning uh, a couple minutes back. I just got a couple of more things that, uh, want to ask you about before we uh before we close out here um cool. you know you've uh you've been a pro you've been fighting pro for a while now you know you've had fights in pancrase and Ryzen and uh, you know these the, all these different organizations man um what what did it feel like when you you know you finally got that call up to the ufc you know what what is that moment uh like for someone like you that's worked you know so hard for it throughout your professional career well, it was it was it was good because obviously, you know, like finally you're getting a you're getting a shot at what most people know. You know, um like you said, you know, I've been fighting around the world for a, for a while now and people just, you know, the the, the fan base just didn't didn't know who I was and it, it's not a slight or a disrespect to me. It's not the fault of other people to know what's going on around the world. But at the same time, it's kind of it's kind of sucky where people think, "Oh, Unless the year, unless you're in the UFC, nobody cares. Or it's like not entirely true, but I understand it. You know, um, but I'm sitting at Korean barbecue stuffing my face when Josh calls me. He goes, Hey, yeah, you gotta fight against Holony Barcelos in two weeks. I was like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm over here 155 pounds, but I'll do it. You know, and I'm stuffing my face Korean barbecue and I'm sitting there with my friends. They're like, yo, what's going on? And I was like, Yeah, I just uh I guess I just signed with the UFC. And they're like, Bro, hell yeah. Well, you gotta start dieting. I was like, after the barbecue, bro. After the barbecue. Right. Yeah. You gotta finish the barbecue. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spend 30, 30 bucks and not get my fill. Come on now. But yeah, I mean, it was um it was awesome to get the call, but it's kind of like, oh man, hey, now you really gotta pick it up. Now it really starts. And it's you know, it's weird. Like as a professional, you always kind of, you know, as a as a professional and a perfectionist when it comes to your fighting, you're always finding more ways to get more training or at least get better. But so that call to the UFC really solidified that. 
Yeah, I bet. Uh, we'll, we'll close out with this one last question here. I know you're a big barbecue fan. I feel like every thing, you know, that I've listened to you in, you've mentioned your love for barbecue and everything like that. You know, I, I live in Texas, so surrounded by great barbecue myself. I got to know, man, what, what what's your go-to order when you go to a barbecue joint? You know, you're what, looking at that menu, what catches your eye? Well, it really depends. It really depends on what, what, uh, what ethnicity I'm messing with. It really depends yeah. on the area I'm messing with. Korean barbecue, uh, American barbecue. Am I messing with Southern barbecue? Am I messing with Eastern barbecue? But generally speaking, I prefer beef ribs with mop sauce. I love that mop sauce. You know, uh, you get a, you get a nice glaze on top of those beef ribs. That's where I'm going to. I like that, man. Man, that's hard to beat. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you know I'm a real when you when people start talking about real barbecue, it's like, well, where am I at? Am I in Japan? Am I in Korea? Am I dealing with uh Thai barbecue? Am I dealing with American barbecue? Are we doing southern style like Texas and you know, Louisiana, that kind of stuff? Or are we doing are we dealing with eastern kind of like Kentucky and Kentucky rubs and things like that? right it's a big difference it's one of the great things about it though you know you can kind of travel around all over and you can find you some good barbecue somewhere yeah yeah i mean everybody's got their way of doing things according to what's available around them which is you know which is great because you know human nature just pushes uh pushes the um pushes the envelope that way oh yeah yeah. Well, I want to give you these last couple of minutes here, you know, man, I, I've, you know, I've really appreciated having you on the show, man. It's been awesome. Uh, you know, just take these last couple of minutes here, you know, shout out anyone, anything you want, you know, your social media handles, everything like that. Well, yeah, man. I mean, first of all, you can follow me over at Victor Henry MMA. That's on Instagram. That's where I'm most active, you know, same thing for the Twitter handle. Um, I like to thank, of course, Hotchkiss, suspensions they're going to be hooking up my 1970 cutlass soon fight hey. tech is hooking up my 1970 cutlass um you know the guys over at drive shaft pro over in uh over on whittier they're hooking my rear uh, rear differential up you know um lnr motors they hooked up my 455 for my old 455 you know they're uh they're doing a great job you know it's funny because most of my sponsors are uh, coming in the way of cars and mm -hmm. you know that cutlass is coming along soon um, I can't wait to show it to everybody and, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be posting, posting up more about it on my Instagram soon. I'll definitely be looking out for it, man. You know, after watching the fight with Gravely, you know, I, I knew I was going to be a big fan of yours, but now that you've been on the show, you know, I'll be, I'll be watching everything you do from here on out, man. Wish you the best and in, in whatever fight is next for you, I will be 100% watching. No question about it. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, man. Have a good rest of your weekend. No, you too, man, bud. Bye. See ya.